again tonight. Welcome to all of you watching online. Tis the season for mercy. That's what we covered last week. This week we want to key on how it's a season of joy and can be. And it's my honor to introduce our teacher uh, for this week. Uh, returning, she's been here before. She does such an awesome job, Beth Gutenberger. And she is uh, helping to lead the ministry called Back to Back. But I love her perspective on things, and I can't wait to sit on the front row like the rest of you heathens here tonight. <laughs> and sit on the front row and listen to her give the song of Mary, especially from her perspective. Would you give a warm white water welcome to that? Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for welcoming me here in uh, your community. It's my joy to be here. I love this idea of the songs of Christmas. I am one of the people, I don't think there's many of us. In fact, I might even ask for a raise of hands. My family still goes Christmas caroling. Are there any Christmas carolers here? It's kind of, okay, a few of you. It's, it, I mean, my children, uh, I have 11 children. A bunch of them are between the ages, uh, like I have a 16, 17, 19, 21-year-old. You can imagine they're not thrilled with the idea of singing to our neighbors. And our neighbors don't even necessarily love having their door open and let the cold air in while we don't really sing that well in front of them. But it is a, a holiday tradition at my house, and it is the, the, there's something rich about the songs of Christmas. And um, Mary, man, when I think about this is the time of year when we try to imagine what it would be like to be that young teenage girl and to get news. It's not like it's news that she's been waiting her whole life and hoping to hear. It would be news that she could have never have conceived of before she heard it for that very first time. We'll read what her response was, but I want to just, I just want to deposit this word in your, in your mind before we read her words in Luke chapter one. She had, she embodied this spirit of like hallelujah. And hallelujah, it's, it's a combination of two words. The first part of hallelujah is this Hebrew word, hallel, which means to celebrate, to boast, to shine, to, to, to make a loud and courageous and foolish noise for. And the second part of that word where we get the, the yuya comes from the word Yahweh. Yahweh is how the Lord introduced himself when Moses said to him in front of the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, okay, you told me to go back to the Israelites, but how do I tell them who it was that sent me? Like, what is your name? And the Lord responded to him, I am that I am Yahweh. So when we, when, when we have this response, this hallelujah, this, this word we'll sing a lot throughout this month. It's this, this raising up, celebrating, making a noise for, boasting, being excited about, praising the one who always has been, the one that is today, and the one that will still be. That was the response of this Mary. Let's read what she said after she received the news that she would be carrying the Savior. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, My soul, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all the generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy, holy is his name. And we'll go on to talk about his mercy extending in the generations. This idea of him being mindful of us, that he sees even the smallest details of our lives, probably um, there's this, I, I, for those of you who haven't met yet, I, I've been a missionary over 20 years, 15 of those years I lived in Mexico. And there was this four-year-old boy that every time I think about God being mindful of me, his face comes into my head. It's because he taught me a lesson that I've never forgotten. 
I was, in, I was living in Mexico, but I flew to Cincinnati to give a talk in front of a church like this. And when I was all done, this guy comes up to me afterwards. He's like, hey, are you talking about, do you live in Monterey, Mexico? Because I go there on business. Let's exchange business cards. And the next time I'm there, I can take your family out to dinner. You can show me around to the orphanages. And I thought that sounded like a great idea. He clearly didn't hear the bio part where we had like so many kids. But we exchanged business cards, but I, I had a skirt with no pockets on and I lost his card. I had remembered talking to him. His name was Carlos. I remembered that part of it, but I didn't really remember anything else about him. Four months later, he didn't lose my card, and he gave me a call in Monterey to tell me he was in town. It was a Saturday, and he would be done around dinner. How about we come down and pick him up in the convention center, and then uh, we can go out that evening, see the orphanages, and go out to dinner. And I was like, great idea. And I hung up the phone. I said to my husband, hey, we're going to go out to dinner tonight with a Cincinnatian who's here named Carlos. My husband has a, he, he just is a little bit more interested in details than I am, so he's just like, oh, okay, like, what's his last name? I'm like, you know what, I, I don't really remember, but, um, and I lost his car, but it's, his name's Carlo, he's from, he's from Mason. He's like, oh, uh, wh wh who's he work for, what's he doing here in town? I'm like, I don't really remember where he works for, what he's doing here in town. <laughs> and he's like, he'd like us to go out to dinner with somebody whose name you don't know, you don't know what he's doing, you don't know what he's here for. He's like, and I said, well, I met him at a church. Only nice people go to churches, you know. <laughs> and he's like, I, I'm, I'll go down and meet him. How about that? And then I'll let you know if the rest of you all should come down. So that was all going on. Meanwhile, one of the orphanages that we served in was uh, being led by uh, the director. His name was Edgar. He's one of my favorite people. And Edgar woke up on that Saturday morning with only enough money to feed the 50 kids in his orphanage for brunch. In Mexico, on a Saturday, you eat a meal called an almuerzo, a lunch meal, like a brunch meal, and he just, that's all he had the money for. He didn't have any money for dinner, and he should have called me. Like, that was the very reason I was a missionary there. I would have run him over an emergency kit of like beans and rice and eggs and oil and tortilla, a bunch of food that would have filled up his kids fast and over a period of days until we could get some more resources and some other, some other food for him. But he was beginning to get nervous that the kids were putting us in a place only Jesus belongs. It says in the book of James that Jesus is the giver of all good gifts. Not Santa Claus, you know, Jesus is the giver of all good gifts. He was getting kind of nervous. The kids were starting to think that we were the giver of all good gifts. And so instead of calling me, he waited that evening when it was time for dinner and he called all the kids back to an empty dining hall and he circled all 50 of them up around the table and he said, you know what, you all, I don't have anything to feed you for dinner. But here's what I know for sure. God is mindful of us. He has not forgotten us. We can pray at this table and he sees us and we're going to ask him to bring us some dinner. And the kids would tell me later, they thought that was kind of strange, but they were hungry and up for anything. So that's what they did. They all bowed their heads and prayed for God to bring them dinner. And meanwhile, there was a four-year-old at this table. His name was Joel. In Spanish, we call him Joel. And he was like, I don't know if you've ever been at prayer time with a four-year-old, but if they do not really know what's going on, they're going to interrupt you to ask. So that as everybody's head was bowed, after a minute or two, Joel raised his hand, and he interrupted everyone by calling out to Edgar, who he called Tio. That means uncle in Spanish. And he's like, Tio, 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 Tio. And everybody like stopped the prayer and looked at Joel. And he's like, are we praying that God brings us dinner? And... Edgar was looking for a teachable moment, so he stopped and he said, we absolutely are asking us that God brings for us some dinner tonight. And Joel goes, well, like, what kind of dinner does God bring you? And Edgar goes, I don't know what God's going to bring us. I just know he is mindful of us. So they, well, for a moment, was it momentarily satisfied, and they closed their eyes and continued their prayer, but his little mind was just kind of racing, and he interrupted everybody again, and he raised his hand, Tio, 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 Tio. I, 
if God's bringing us dinner, I bet he's going to bring us meat. Because these are kids who'd had a lot of beans and rice in their life, you know what I mean? He's there. And, and Edgar's like, okay we, okay, we can pray for some meat. And as they closed their eyes and began to pray, Huel interrupted them for the third and final time, raised his hand, he said, Tio, 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 what kind of meat do you think God's going to bring us? And Edgar goes, I don't know what kind of meat God's going to bring us. And Huel goes, I do, I do. I bet if it's God, I bet he brings us some steak. And they closed their eyes, they continued to pray for steak. We didn't have any idea that was going on. Meanwhile, Todd goes down to the convention center to check out who my mystery guest was, and he gives me a call, and he goes, hey, listen, I'm not going to bring him out back to the house, and we're not going to meet for dinner. He, he brought tons of product, and he's got, it's more than we can fit back home right now, and he's asking some of the other vendors. They're not allowed to take it back across the border, and it's, it, it's, he's getting a bunch of donations from the people around him, and we're just going to go ahead and start dropping stuff off at the orphanages, or about eight of them at the time we were working in. He's like, why don't you call ahead to all late orphanages make sure everybody's around tonight and we'll just do a little tour and we'll drop off some of this at every place we go will you call ahead and let them know I'm coming and I was like yeah absolutely and so the first place I called was Edgar Edgar's um, house was eight blocks from the convention center so I pick up my phone and I'm like hey Edgar I just want to make sure you're around tonight Todd's on his way over with a donation and he's like oh great great I said he'll be there about 10 minutes he's like do you know what he's got with them and I said I, I don't I just know he wanted me to make sure you had some room in your freezer. He's like, I got some room in my freezer. I was like, okay, great, well, he'll be right there. And I'm getting ready to hang up the phone, but in Spanish, you don't say goodbye like we say in English, like bye. There's, it's like a whole little dance. And so as we're saying, you know, goodbye, God bless you and all that, he stops, he goes, hey, would, would you mind finding out exactly what he's bringing for the freezer? And I'm just gonna confess to you tonight. I was thinking to myself, like, hey, listen, if it goes in a freezer, it goes in a mouth. And we're not all that picky in the orphan business. But I, that was not appropriate to say because I was a good missionary, right? So I put my best Christian voice on, and I'm like, I don't really know right now, but I'll call and get right back to you. Okay, hold on. So I hang up with Edgar, and I call Todd, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on with him, but he'd like to know exactly what you're bringing over for the freezer. He's like, oh, Beth, your friend Carlos works for the Tri-County John Royal Meat Company over there. He's here trying to track some restaurant business. He has the most incredible cuts of like filet mignon and New York strip and T-bone and sirloin. He's like, I don't even know if they're going to know how to fix it, but I'm on my way over with it. So I hang up the phone with Todd and I call Edgar. I'm like, hey, guess what? He's like, got these incredible cuts of steak, like all the letters you want with your meat, USDA and Choice A and all that. Filet mignon and New York strip and T-bone and sirloin. And you have any room in your freezer for that? And at that point, he tells me what had been going on in his house for the last almost 45 minutes. And then he pulls the phone away from his mouth and he yells to the kids, hey kids, God's on his way over with your steak. <laughs> <laughs> and oh man, I love that story for two reasons. I think the first reason is because God set up the whole system from the very beginning that it's not dependent on what we bring to the table, but wholly dependent on that which he's already accomplished. It says it takes faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. There is no faith size smaller than a four-year-old orphan. That's about as small as it can get. That's the smallest measure I've ever seen. And yet it was enough to have the attention of the God, the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's mindful of every one of us. And I, I also like that story because I personally don't like to get my back against the wall like that, the way that Edgar personally put himself. And when I do find myself with my back against the wall, my temptation is always to call out to man first. But you know what happens when you call out to man? You get like beans and rice and eggs and oil and tortilla, which makes you feel like you're full, but the truth is it's really cheap. 
And there's something, there's something otherworldly about this idea that God wants to come for us, and he'll come for us in any storyline that we find ourselves in. He's not afraid of any situation we have. Think about Mary. Mary had this cousin named Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Zachariah, this is from Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth and Zachariah were the parents of John the Baptist. So Zachariah was a priest, and they only had priestly duty one month of the year, and his priestly duty for his division was in June. And it says in the Bible that, that Zachariah and Elizabeth got pregnant shortly after his priestly duty. So let's get them pregnant in July with John the Baptist. Six months later, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant with the one who was going to tell the rest of us that God is on the way, right? John the Baptist was to prepare the way. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant during the Festival of Lights, this time of year, this, this festival, this Hanukkah time, right? This Festival of Lights. She runs into her cousin Mary, who's been freshly impregnated with Jesus. We just read what happened, when, what she said when that happened. So just think for a minute, I'm not trying to break your Christmas calendar, but think with me for a minute that the light of the world was conceived during this festival of lights. If Mary carried that baby nine months, he would, Jesus would have actually been born during harvest season, during what they call the Feast of the Tabernacle. That's, John would later say in the original language that Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. The, the, the harvest season would be the one time of year that shepherds were allowed in the field with their animals because normally you wouldn't let shepherds and their animals get in the field and eat all the crops because no farmer would be okay with that. But during harvest season, after they'd harvest everything they wanted, they would actually purposely invite the shepherds to come into the fields because they'd want them to eat up what they didn't harvest and then deposit a little fertilizer, right, for the next growing season. During that season, that, that harvest season, like where would the animals go at night? What they would, where they would put the animals um, are these like, I've, I've been to Israel and seen these a couple different times. They're like, think about hills. There's like a, you know, like Bethlehem is like a hilly region. Naturally, there'd be these like cutouts in the hills and they would put the animals up in that space because that would give them three sides of the, of a natural barrier and then a shepherd would light a fire in the entrance of like that cave to keep the animals at night from coming out and then he would curl around that fire and there he could rest and the animals would be safe till the next day they'd go back out in the fields so Luke chapter 2 the shepherds were invited into the fields right and then that's when the angels came and told them that great and incredible news and those animals were in at night in those little caves what do you think that cave looked like on the inside? I mean, imagine all those animals inside of that cave depositing their fertilizer in that cave night after night, right? I mean, year after year. What do you think the floor of that cave looked like with all that dung on it? And then the walls, the walls would have been thick with the soot of a thousand shepherd's fires. Black is all get out in that, in that on those walls. Like, even if you have to close your eyes for a minute, put in your mind's eye, walls thick with black soot, ground thick with animal manure, and that's where the animals were. Not, if you have a manger scene in your house with pretty pine and like, you know, like a little plaid comforter for baby Jesus, throw that thing out. That is not what it looked like, right? And now comes Mary, nine months pregnant with the light of the world who's come to tabernacle among us. And where did he choose to, to, to land? He didn't pick the palace like the king that he was. Instead, he literally picked the darkest, nastiest, dirtiest place I can possibly think of to tabernacle among us because he was telling them then and he's telling us here today. There is no story he won't go into. 
There is nothing too dark and nasty that he won't enter in and get involved in and get, be among us and, and dwell with us. And that's what we say hallelujah about in this season. That's the song that we sing at this Christmas time. That's what we celebrate and boast about and rave about that the one that I am that has always been and always is and always will be will go absolutely anywhere with us. And some of you in this Christmas season, you love everything about it, right? You love your Christmas sweaters and you love the Christmas lights and you love Christmas caroling and you love Christmas cookies and it represents and brings back feelings of warmness and nostalgia. But for some people, this is a hard season. This is a season where you reflect on things like loss or disappointment or expectations of others. And it can be, it, it can be a, a hard season for Todd and I, my husband and I, this year in particular, we lost someone that we loved this fall. Um, she was like the Mexican grandma of our family. She lived with us for 19 years. She had been an orphan, and then she had become a widow. And we brought her into our family like, a, like it only made sense inside of our walls. People would look at us and wonder who she was, but to all my kids and I that we've only known life with her. In fact, and when we moved back from Mexico, from the mission field to Cincinnati a couple of years ago, it was a few years prior to that when, as missionaries, we would travel back and forth to raise funds and to, to do events here in Cincinnati, and it felt weird to leave her behind. It, she was a part of our family, but she didn't have the right paperwork to travel back and forth across the border. And it was 11 years ago, I remember we made an appointment for her to go get a passport at the U.S. Embassy. And the, at that time, about... 80, uh, no, 91% of people who applied for tourist visas were denied. But, um, and I understand why. They were looking for people that had things like land ownership and businesses that would draw those who came to the U.S. to visit back to their home country. I totally understand that. But this woman who lived with us, her name was Mima. She had none of that. She didn't even have an education. She didn't have any land ownership. She didn't have any kind of business. And on that tourist visa spectrum, there were visas that you could get that were just for like time limited like a 10-day visa a 14-day visa that's what we were hoping for the ability to bring her to cincinnati to celebrate christmas with us the other side of that spectrum they have these 10-year laser visas for fancy people that have import export businesses and need to go back and forth across the border as fluidly and frequently as they'd like to and on the day of her visa appointment todd and i were telling her hey listen she, she took very seriously the letters of paul that says everything that we do we do for the glory of god so she would call everything she did god's work you know like tying her shoes was for Jesus, and, you know, washing her, her milk juice cup was for Jesus. Everything was work for Jesus, and I was saying to her, when they ask you what you're doing in Cincinnati for those two weeks, you cannot say the word work. It's real important to our government. You don't use that word work. You got to say you're going there to visit people. You understand me? We practiced a ton. She's, like, cute and old and frail, and I'm like, do not say work. So she goes into this part of the consulate, and Todd and I were just outside praying, like, Lord, this is your will. At least, at the very least, she knows that we wanted her to come with us. That, that will feel at least affirming to who she is and her place and her feeling. She comes out of the consulate, and I was like, did you get it? And she was like, well, I, I, got, I got a visa. And I was just like, hallelujah. I was definitely celebrating and boasting and raving the one that always has been. I was so excited for what he had done because I knew it was a miracle. And my husband, again, much more detail-oriented, was like, what kind of visa did you get? Like, how many days? And she opens up her papers like, I got a 10-year laser visa. And we're like, no, you did not get a 10-year laser visa. And he's looking at the very, he's like, she got a 10-year laser visa. I'm like, how did, how did you get that visa? And she's like, the guy said, what are you doing in Cincinnati? And I said, I'm going there to work for Jesus. And I'm like, oh, I told you. And he goes, well, we need a lot of them. So how about you come as often as you like? <laughs> 
just a small example of what God did that was good for her. This uh, Mother's Day, I called her on Mother's Day. She was spending it this, the last couple of years, six months with us and six months in Mexico. I called her on Mother's Day. She was living in Mexico, and she had a cough, and that cough was um, pretty bad. And she'd had it for a little while. I was paying attention to it through June and July. We were trying to help her uh, manage her health care from here. Finally, in July, I felt like it was... It was uh, not doing so hot, and uh, we brought her here to Cincinnati where we could get her some better medical care. And if you know her, the, the strongest characteristic about her is she was a worshiper. Like that, Before she knew how to read, she knew how to sing to Jesus. And there's one Spanish praise song. You know how we all kind of have like that song that takes us someplace? There is one Spanish praise song. We don't sing it in English. It's called Sumerhame. It's a song that talks about bathing you in the river of his spirit. And even if you're tired, he's there and you fought. Like, it's a really beautiful song. She's been singing it for over 25 years. I mean, as long as I've ever known her, she's been singing that song. I remember when she got here, uh, we got her all set up in a room and we were playing Sumerhame in the background. And she said, All is well, you know. She was hospitalized three times between when she got here in July and when she went home to Jesus in October. And um, the last week of her life, she was hospitalized at Westchester Hospital, and the doctor came in to tell us that she was losing, she was losing this battle. And two nights before she died, we had a conversation with her, just really coming to grips with what this was going to look like. And I said to her, you know, these songs we've been singing, this worship we've been about for the last 25 years, it looks like you're going to be singing these songs pretty soon on the streets of gold. How are you feeling about that? And she said to me, yeah, Romans 10:12. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, she said, and she closed her eyes. The next morning, October 10th, she woke up, and she knew, you know, at the hospital, like, what's your name, what year is it? They'd do all these little mental fitness questions, and she could name who I was. She knew who she was. But the next day, the day that she went to be with Jesus, when she woke up, she didn't know her name, and she didn't know my name, and I remember they came in to ask her those questions, and Todd and I were there with her, and it was pretty startling to have her not know my name and not know her name. And I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of curled up on the bottom of her bed and I uh, just started to sing this song we've been singing for 25 years, Sumit Herme. And as soon as I started it, she joined in that chorus and sang every word of that song with me. And I looked over at Todd and I said, where does worship go inside of us? Where does music go inside of us that when we no longer even know our name, we still never forget his? Like, that, like that's, that's what really what we're singing about this season, about this, this, this worship, this hallelujah, this boasting of the one who always is. We don't lose that no matter what happens. She sang that song until she went home into the arms of Jesus later that day, and I can't stop thinking about that this Christmas season. And there are days when that makes me raise my hands and sing to Jesus, and there are days that makes me sad. And on all the days it makes me sad, I think about that cave, that dark cave, and how he's willing to go into dark places with me and tabernacle among me. He's willing to make him... If I make him room, Exodus 25 talks about building a tabernacle to Moses. God's talking to Moses, and he says to Moses, if you make room for me, I'll come and fill the space. That's how I feel about Christmas season. If we make room for him, he'll come and fill that space. I'm going to close our time by just teaching you this word that I've been um, thinking about a lot this month. It's a Hebrew word. Don't worry about how to say it or spell it. I, I think of original languages. I always say, like, Hebrew words are like doorknobs. They, if you just turn them, it takes you into a room you might not have ever been in before. 
there's no vocabulary test to get to heaven or anything, but this word, it's been, I've been thinking about it a lot, it's this Hebrew word, ahava, which literally means to love in Hebrew, pretty simple, but the reason I can't stop thinking about it is because the root word of ahava is ahav, which means to give. So God embedded into this idea of loving the idea of giving. We know that's a Jesus idea, right? Because God so loved this world that he gave us this little baby, this, this only begotten son. He would die for us three decades after his birth. And I've been just talking about, like, what do we have to give this season besides the things we can get on Amazon, right? We can, we can, we can give people time and encouragement and our attention and prayers and affirmation. There's so many good gifts we have to give this season. And I was talking about, um, so maybe two weeks ago, about Ahava in a group. It was a group that you could, like, socially acceptable to interrupt me. And this guy raised his hand. He goes, hey, hey, I just went to a Jewish wedding, and the rabbi was talking about Ahava. I'm like, oh, really? What did he say? He said, the way that you can say it is you can hold that last syllable, that last A-H syllable, for a, as long as you have breath in your lungs, just as, as long as you can do it. And it's to symbolize that we're to love and give until we're literally out of breath, till we literally have nothing left in us. That's what Jesus did. He loved and he gave and he loved and he gave and he loved and he gave on that cross until it took his breath away. So I wanted to finish our time together with a little um, exercise. I'm gonna count to three and I want us to say ahava and I want you to hold that last syllable for, take a deep breath and hold it as long as you can. And while you are holding that last syllable, have a little internal conversation with Jesus and tell him thank you, first of all, that he loved and gave for us. And then ask him, who this holiday season do you want me to love and demonstrate my love for them by giving them of myself, giving them my time and my attention and my prayer? Like, who, who is it that you're asking me to do? And then I'll close our time in prayer. Okay, ready? Take a deep breath. One, two, three. Ahava. Jesus, thank you that you came. Thank you that you came to be here with us. That you, the light of the world, aren't afraid of any story, aren't afraid of any, any feeling, any fear, any question. You're not afraid of anything. You want to come here and be with us. And for that we say to you, alongside of Mary, hallelujah, may that be the song of our heart this season. Thank you for the face and the name that you put in our mind just now as we responded to you. We just commit to you that we will sacrificially love and give to that person in order to reflect to them the love that you have first given to us. Jesus, I ask that you would be with us that we would sow these songs in our hearts so they would be with us forevermore as we go from this world into yours. And I pray these things with the anointing and the preciousness of the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Was it Jenna out there? Yeah, who's out there to help. So uh, I encourage you to do that and pray for her ministry. And we ask you to pray for our ministry too. Lots of great stuff going on. Christmas Eve is coming. If you have not uh, got one of these cards, invite your friends. Uh, we have three services, 133 and 4. Pick the one that works for you. We intentionally uh, have these early, uh, earlier, uh, so that you can, that's the feedback we're always getting. We'll get in here, we'll do Christmas Eve, and then you can do your family things in the evening. But do some inviting. And also, pray about that offering that's going to go totally toward our Life Center Resource Fund. Our goal, 30,000 folks, 30,000 minimum. We hope to go over that so we can invest it in other ministries associated with Life Center. We're going to give that away to people. Uh, and Beth understands, you know, we're so blessed in the American church, all that we have. We've been blessed to be a blessing, not only here in our community, but around the world. So start praying about that. If you need prayer tonight, uh, we'll have some folks down front here. If you're new, we'd love to meet you right over here on my right and your left. And don't forget, some of y'all, I know you're thinking about going all in to start the new year off right. Uh, just like we did with Emily. Maybe it's the end of the year. It's the end of like the decade. And some of y'all have not like gone forth, in, you know, put on Christ and put that outward sign of that inward change in faith in your life. So January 2 uh, and, uh, and and the first Thursday, first Sunday in January, we'd love to have you. We've got an all-in class next Thursday night at 6 o'clock. So if you're asking about it, you need information, if you join here, then we got one on Sunday the 22nd. Hey guys, so glad that you joined us online today. Keep in touch in the future. Again, you can text the word NEW to the number on the screen or PRAY to the number on the screen, and we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.